So Jehoshaphat, I just, um, such a fan. Back in chapter 17, he's introduced to us. And why is it that there is just, he's prospered so great? Because over and over in his life, it has a word associated with him. Uh, Matt, you're going to want to come up a little because they're translating right in back of you. <laughs> uh, because there's a word associated with Jehoshaphat's life throughout his life, and what is it? What's the word associated with? What did he always do? What's that one word? It's a verb. It starts with an S. Seek. Throughout his life, and we're going to see it again today, he's the guy who um, he seeks the Lord. By the way, not to be confused with praying, we've already seen that the Lord has said previously in Second Chronicles, if you will humble yourself, pray, seek the Lord, and depart from evil, he will uh, heal the land. So praying and seeking, we are to be doing um, both, but if we're not seeking, we will wind up in big problems just like Solomon did, who was told to do three things. Remember what they were? By his father David, he was told to know the Lord, serve the Lord, and seek the Lord. He did the first two. He learned all about the Lord. He served the Lord just by being king. It was a theocracy, but he didn't seek the Lord, and he took a fall. And I just have been sharing with you, it just, um, just even in the last couple months, seeing pastor friends and, and, and wives of pastors, people who are leaders, fall so many times. Why? They stopped seeking. And so we see in chapter 17, verse 4, he sought the Lord. Verse 6 and 17, it says, chapter 17, he, his heart took delight uh, in the Lord. And anytime our heart is delighting in the Lord or seeking the Lord, a faith not worth sharing is not worth having. Um, he went, he crossed the borders he, uh, in the land. He went throughout all of Judah, verse 9, chapter 17, and, and taught all of Judah. It says, the fear of the Lord fell on the kingdoms um, around him. He surrounded himself with people who sought the Lord. In verse 16 of chapter 17, one of his captains of the army says, um, uh, Amasai, a guy named Amasai, it says, willingly offered himself to the Lord. Uh, and, and so he was a man who sought the Lord. Uh, where did we end with last time? It was a few weeks ago because we've been off because of communion week and also first Tuesday of the month praying. And, and we left off in chapter 9 where the son of the man who rebuked his father Asa comes to him, a guy by the name of Jehu, Jehu son of Hanani. Hanani um, confronted his father Asa at the end of Asa's life, and what did Asa do? Throw him in jail. It's like, oh, Asa, how could you, you know, how could you end like this? You've, you've, you've done so well your whole life, and this is how you end. And, uh, but Jehoshaphat really is going to have a great ending. He's rebuked by the son of the same guy who got put in jail, but instead of throwing him in jail and beating him up, he repents. And um, it, this guy, it says, this guy Jehud said, uh, he rebuked him. Why did he rebuke him? Because he had gone and aligned himself with Ahab in the north, 
Jehoshaphat was one of these guys. He was kind of like David in a way um, that he was just a, what you would call a magnanimous guy. He just loves, likes everyone. He's a likable guy and likes everyone, but lacked discernment as to who not to like. Attached himself to Ahab, whose wife is better known than him, Jezebel, and they Ahab gets killed in the battle. He's, Jehoshaphat and Ahab are warned not to go into it. They ignore it. Jehoshaphat, on his way back, is rebuked by this guy named um, Jehu, who tells him to his face, and this is to a king, you and I, we need boldness. Boldness is so desperately needed nowadays. Goes up to a king in his face. I imagine he was on his horse or whatever, and just interrupts him and, and, and said, should you... Help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord. And it says, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. What does is, what is, um, Jehoshaphat do? Doesn't throw him in jail. Doesn't, you know, seek a pity party. Woe is me. He repents. And, and, and it says that um, he, not only did he repent, he, he sends people throughout the land, crosses the border of the southern kingdom, goes up into the northern kingdom, and it says he brought back the people to the Lord. I personally believe it was a, like a Jonah story where God decided to relent from the wrath. That's my personal belief. And uh, the, the, so the, the people came back to the Lord, and, and so it, with his repentance, he br- brings in other people. That's, that's an important thing, you know, when we're repenting. You grab this person and that person around us who, whatever, we were in sin with and bring, us, bring them into repentance as well. So in chapter 20 where we begin tonight, it says it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. So these are the people on the west side of of Jordan, I got, I got a rock, I'm like a rock and roll star. These uh, lights are going on and off. Um, these are the people on the rather the east side of the Jordan, who had, uh, who had originally that they had been under the control of the Northern Kingdom, but the Northern Kingdom is going downhill. They're, they've lost this area, and they are lifelong enemies of Israel, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and they're coming against uh, Israel. Verse 2 says, some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Angedi. Verse 3, and Jehoshaphat feared, and he got on the phone with all his friends trying to figure out a way to defeat this enemy. No, what did he do? What did he do? He sought the Lord. I just gave uh, the, the man who just proposed to one of my daughters, one of my four daughters, Josue, I just gave him as a Christmas present a big mug that says, but first, comma, pray. And so often, that's not what I do. I fear, and then I'm like, what, figuring out, 
you know, ha, 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 what, what to do rather than do what Jehoshaphat did. First thing he did, seek the Lord. That's what he did. He sought the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, drink this in because you don't see the kings of the north or the south behaving like this usually. You just don't. This guy, he, there's so much to learn from his life. It's not only himself. He's, the rest of the people around him, you guys, we got to fast. This is like serious. Now, so many other times we see um, the kings going to a pagan, wicked enemy and saying, hey, can you help me with this enemy? He doesn't do that. He seeks the Lord, proclaims a fast. Verse 4, Judah gathered together to, help, to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Now again, that praying is so important, right? We hear about prayer, but we have been on and just going, just getting into this word seek. How many times, how many messages have I given on seeking over the last six months? Um, because it just happens so much here. Seeking and praying, one of the things that's different about well, distinct about um, seeking. Seeking, you could say, is a form of praying, but praying is not necessarily seeking. That's, that's, but, but one thing that's distinct about seeking, you're always with your heart saying, okay, is there something wrong with me, Lord? You're bearing your heart before the Lord. The first thing that happens when calamity comes into your life, don't say, oh, this isn't fair. This couldn't possibly be something about me. You say, Lord, is there some sin in my life? Is this happening because of something about me, something I'm doing wrong? I'm not listening to you. Or maybe there's some sin in my life that I, I'm not even aware of. Seeking, best verse probably that, goes along the lines of what seeking is towards the end of Psalm 139. Lord, search me examine, me, examine me, see if there is any wicked way within me and lead me on the way everlasting. Um, it's, it's really putting your heart before the Lord. Now, in this particular instance, I don't think there was sin. Doesn't, doesn't mean every time you go to the Lord, it's gonna be you. The Lord may say it's nothing about you, but I wanna do a great work in your life here. They're seeking the Lord, and all Judah with them was, was seeking. Solomon the Magnificent. Do you, know why they're, this, do you know why these lights are doing this? I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can figure. Solomon is, this is a different Solomon, by the way. It's not the Solomon I was just reading about. This is a different one. He, he still has the Midas touch, but. So... Um, you may be able to turn on these stage lights. Yeah, these sta just turn these stage lights on and keep those off. These are off right now, these stage lights. Verse 5, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said... Now, any time... This is a, this is a, a, a prayer. Any time, people, I pray to you, you see a long prayer... You see a big old prayer. Anytime you see a prayer, study it and pray like it. Anytime you see a prayer. So this is what the prayer says. 
O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You know, it has been said that the prayer, remember when the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray, and he said, our Father who art in heaven, it has been said that, notice how that begins with our Father who art in heaven, and that occurs before a few verses later where it says, give us this day our daily bread. Because we first, we gotta remember, before we ask him for our bread, it's like, he's the guy who gives bread. He owns the bread, he grows the bread. It's so important just to begin with an acknowledgement before the Lord, he's God of heaven. He's in heaven. O Lord God of heaven, O, o, o Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Now, does God need to be reminded that he's ruler of everyone? No, but we need to hear ourselves saying it. And we need to read different places in the Bible that it says it. Now, you know, I, um, it says, O Lord, God of our um, fathers, are you not God in heaven, and do you not rule over the kingdom, uh, kingdoms of the earth? And in your hand is there not power and might so that you, no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now, something really interesting is happening here. He, does anyone know what he's quoting here? Just shout it out if you know it. He's actually quoting something here. He's quoting an earlier chapter in Chronicles where Solomon, at the um, dedication of the temple, said this, among other things. He said, when there is famine, I'm reading now from 2 Chronicles 6.28, when there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, Wherever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands to this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men that they may hear you to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Jehoshaphat is quoting this. And I can't tell you how important it is 
that in times of calamity, when you go in prayer, you will be so much better off if you know the Word of God. Otherwise, you won't know what to pray. Now, even if you don't know the Word of God, He's merciful, believe me. But when you can repeat in your prayer the promises of God, and Jehoshaphat knew this promise. Now, whether there was a scroll called Second Chronicles at the time, I don't know, but it was certainly recorded. He was familiar with, he was a student. Remember, this is the guy who sent people around Judah to teach people the word of God. And it's a powerful thing when we're in prayer to just be reciting scripture. Now, again, a repeated theme at Calvary Chapel in the city. We stopped a year ago doing services and every midweek Bible study, men's, ladies, two sevens, I meet with a group of guys. We stop once a month at the, at the first Tuesday of every month to do what? To pray and to seek the Lord. Why? Because I just got convicted after a while that it's Bible study after Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. You know, knowledge puffs up, the Bible says. But love edifies. And and and. The reason we're, we're learning, the reason we're learning this tonight is so that we can pray, is so that we can have a relationship with God, is so that we can seek God. And so um, here's a guy who is simply quoting Scripture. He's, he's learned. It doesn't do any good to learn and learn and learn and learn the Bible if we're not pouring it back to him in our prayer life. Defeats the purpose. We were created, you were created to love God in a relationship of prayer, and that the engine of that is true, reading the Word of God, but we don't read the Word of God and not seek the Lord. And so um, here he is. I find it fascinating. He is quoting Solomon here. It says, you said it, Lord. You said in your sanctuary of disaster comes upon us, sword, uh, judgment, pestilence, if we cry out, you will hear and save. Verse 10. And again, this is so good. I love this because, again, this is a guy who knows the word of God. Some of you will pick this up. He's just, he's just referring to the Bible again in the next few verses. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. So what's he talking about there? Again, he knows his Bible. He knows his Bible. Some of you are nodding your heads. What's he talking about? When Moses was first coming into the land, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, he wasn't in it yet. In order to get through it, he needed to go through the land of the Ammonites and through the land of the Moabites. And the Lord says, don't you touch them. They are descendants of who? Ah! No, Lot. Technically, Abraham, but more directly, Lot. 
they were they were blood with Abraham, but but Lot. Now you know they, they, it wasn't a really good story how they came into be. Their their um, the, the, the the daughters of Lot slept with their father when I think he was drunk, and the Ammonites and the Moabites were born. But they God said, "Don't stay away from them. They are your kin," and so they did not destroy them. They, they just went right by, and they didn't touch them. And here, Just want to make sure the recording, the recording um, is good. So Jehoshaphat knows his Bible. He's read his Bible, and he's he he read. Is that the Book of Numbers? Is that where that was? I think it's the Book of Numbers where um, they went right by the Ammonites and the Moabites. They're not in the Promised Land yet. They don't touch them. And it's like, Lord, come on. Here they are rewarding us for our obedience by trying to take us out of their possession when we didn't mess with their possession. And, and so, uh, again, this is, this is you, you know the story of Jacob wrestling all night with the Lord, and at the um, end of the night, the Lord uh, says, uh, Jacob, sa Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, and, 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 and the Lord winds up blessing him, but but they wrestle all night. He's wrestling with the Lord here. It's like, look what they're doing, Lord. Again, the Lord doesn't need to be reminded of this, but we, it's, it's great to just be with the Lord, wrestling with him, and he's wrestling with the Lord here. Um, and, and, you know, it's hard for us to imagine because we've never had, we've never had, I don't know, 100,000 Al-Qaeda at the corner, at the border of Rhode Island about to come in and, and, and kill um, our, our, and, and rape our wives and daughters and, and, and kill all of us. We've never had that happen. The Lord will get you desperate in other ways. <laughs> He's faithful to do that. But can you imagine that? Can you imagine? Um, and this is why, by the way, this is why they went to this is why, rather than seek the Lord, they went to foreign kings and pagan kings and wicked kings to do alliances because it's terrifying. They were terrified, and it really. So, so when you see this guy here being faithful, I mean, this is serious, serious faithfulness. <laughs> this is a guy who, it, 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 you know, in the face of incredible obstacles and the possibility of of terrible things happening. And, and by the way, when, when, when you know, the, a king was caught, they got the worst treatment. Drag him through the streets or whatever. He's crying. He's crying out to the Lord. In verse 12, this is one of the, this is one of the most well-known verses there is anywhere on prayer. I've quoted it, I think, just the last week, once or twice. This is the kind of, 
verse that you type up and you print out, you cut it out and put it on top of your door. It says, but O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. (laughs) It doesn't get any better than that. That is such a great verse. You know, it's incredible. I'm, I'm facing one of my own, uh, a, a, a trial on my own right now, a, a big trial. And uh, someone sent me this verse right before I started preparing for this message, right before, like minutes before. And I wrote to them and I said, do you know that I'm teaching on Second Chronicles 20? And they said, no. Do you know that I'm even, did you remember I'm even in Second Chronicles? It's not someone who goes to Tuesday night. And they said, no, I promise. I was very encouraged by that, to say the least. (laughs) Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Because when we don't know what to do, our eyes are like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, we're trying to figure out who's going to help us, what other than God, who's going to help us, what man, what strength, what money, what... Better to put our eyes on the Lord. And by the way, he does it publicly. This is one, one, one reason I like in our prayer meetings to just confess what our need is before everyone. There's something that happens. The Bible says God puts down the proud. He exalts the humble. Verse 13, now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. So important to bring your children into big trials and not try to shield them from the trials and how you are how you are going about moving through the trial with the Lord. Just bring them right in. I just love this here. They bring their little ones. So not only their children, but their little ones. The two-year-olds, three-year-olds. They can remember this stuff, really, honestly. A two-year-old can, a three-year-old. Verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jelal, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. So it's interesting here. This guy's a prophet and he's a Levite. So Levites were the, remember that's the tribe of Levite. Those were the priests and the um, temple workers. Most prophets did not come from them. Some were. Anyone want to shout out who was a who else was a priest and a prophet? Anyone? What? Jesus Christ. That's correct. Who else? Samuel. Who else? Was, was Aaron a prophet? Ezekiel was a prophet. Aaron may have been a prophet. I don't know. I've never thought of that. Ezekiel was a priest and a prophet as well. So this guy's in the, a Levite. He's also uh, a prophet. And it says, verse 15, and he said, listen, all you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Oh, my. That's nice to remember. 
A battle belongs to the Lord. Tomorrow, verse 16, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Now, we had seen in just a few chapters before this, when Ahab was going out into the Bible, Ahab, that wicked king, that man married to that wicked woman Jezebel, 400 prophets were telling him, go out to battle, you're going to win. Go out to battle, you're going to win. Go out to battle, you're going to win. What's the difference? You can read this. Well, this is just another guy. He wants to get favor with the king, and he's just telling him what he wants to hear. Big difference. He's giving specifics here. <laughs> he says, I want you guys to go this way. You're going to find the enemy, you know, at this particular place. And so that's going to give them comfort when they get there, verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. He tells him twice, the Lord is with you. He says the battle is the Lord's. And so sometimes the Lord does have the children of Israel go into battle and they man they have to they have to actually go into battle and like kill people and and, and battle like a soldier. That happens sometimes. In this particular battle they're gonna go out just really to be a spectator. And what's important here is they're told to stand still. I think last Friday night I was quoting Psalm 118 where David says, you know, we, we may not, he says, um, all enemies surround me, but the nation, of, uh, but the, in the name of the Lord, I will, I will destroy them. And then he says, they surround me like bees. And, you know, you may not have literal enemies with uh, machine guns around you, but you have enemies. The Bible says that when you live for the Lord, you stir up the demonic realm. We were talking about that on Saturday, Sunday morning. And sometimes you have demons around you like bees, just lying. They're lying to you. And what it does, it gets our mind moving at a million miles a minute. And what we're told to do here is, in that, when that's happening, is stand still. Just stand still. <laughs> stand still before the Lord. By all means, quote scripture. It's one of the good things about memorizing scripture is you can quote it, you can just go through it, or read scripture, read it. But be still in that, okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna rise above this. Ephesians two says that we have been given the privilege of sitting in the heavenlies with Jesus. So we can just rise above the noise and be with him. 
Colossians 3.1 says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above. Where Christ is, sit at the right hand of God. In other words, we can do that. We can, do, we, we can literally just sort of rise above it. But it's hard, man. It's hard when you have bees surrounding you, a bunch of demons lying to you, or whatever, however big the trial. It's very hard, but the Lord gives grace. So this prophet tells him what to do. Verse 18 is a beautiful, beautiful verse. This is a wonderful chapter, wow. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. They just worshiped him. They're praising his name. They're singing to him. It's got to bless his heart, huh? This just has to, you know, it's incredible that we can actually do something to bless the heart of the Lord. Psalm 103, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And for years I said, Well, that doesn't make sense. God blesses us. No, you, He blesses you too. I mean, rather, you bless Him too when you do stuff like this. When you worship, you really do worship in the middle of a big trial. It says, They fell on their face and worshiped the Lord. Ah, what a great scene. Verse 19, Then the Levites of the children and the, of the Kohathites and of the children of, uh, of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Loud voices. Loud voices praising the Lord. You know, a lot of times, um, you know, you're hearing someone just sent me an article about the feminization of of um, the church in the United States. Not talking about political or biblical issues about um, gender, but rather just the sheer percentage of women in church compared to men. I forget what the percentages are. And you can tell this is true when you hear in recordings a lot of times where wherever I'm not going to mention any uh, any names but you know bands that I like to listen to them they're doing a live concert and they they turn off the instruments and you're just listening to it and it's just women and the reason is there's mostly women there and every time I hear that I say flip it lord flip it in our generation so you can't hear them women <laughs> cuz you're hearing the men booming out, praising the Lord. And these would have been mostly men. By the way, ladies, of course, the Lord loves hearing you. Um, the Lord loves hearing you worship. And, and, and I'm, so, I'm so grateful that, that our church has such strong male leadership. I get that comment on a re regular basis, by the way. This is a church with very strong men leadership, and we have so many men serving the Lord in our church. But Lord, switch it. Flip it. Let it be like this verse 19, where it says, the Korahites, who these are all men, stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices 
loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. This is just great leadership here. This guy, there's so much to like about him. Just great leadership. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. As they went out before the army, they were saying, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. So here you have it. The worship team is going out to face an army bigger than them, and the only weapons they have are whatever it was, trumpets, stringed instruments. Manuel, are you up for that, man? Going and facing, uh, go, going and joining the Ukrainians and going out and just heading out a battle with uh, just your guitar? That's like that? Okay. <laughs> I mean, this, these are some serious worshipers who believe the Lord, right? They went out ahead on the basic basis of a prophet who told them, you guys are not going to have to be in this battle. They believed him, and they went out singing. And so this really is a, a, a wonderful, uh, you know, a wonderful uh, model of what we're supposed to do when we're facing afflictions. Just go into it. Worshiping, among other things, of course. Doesn't mean you don't plan. It doesn't mean you don't do things. But singing. You know, when we call prayer meetings, because there are different things that are happening, different trials facing the church, we make, make sure and begin with singing, with worship, going out before, worshiping the Lord. It's so encouraging here to read this it really happened verse 22 now when they began to sing and to praise they didn't even get to go to the end of the song take heart manuel all you're going to do is just get out a couple of words it says the lord set ambushes against the people of ammon moab and mount seir who had come against judah and they were defeated <laughs> okay why did this happen? Because wicked people hate wicked people. Did you know that? Wicked people hate wicked people. Wicked people hate wicked people more than they hate righteous people a lot of the times. There's a lot of the times there'll be a certain fear and respect they'll have for the righteous. True, people hate the righteous as well. But they, wicked people hate wicked people. And the Ammonites hated the Moabites. Is what happens here. The Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. They hated each other. This is just something the Lord came in confused their minds, directed their minds in whatever way. These are angelic, by the way, no doubt, angelic 
Remember those angels who went out to confuse that we read about a few chapters ago that confused the prophets, the false prophets, or give them false messages? Here, that no doubt God's angels were directing them against each other. God has, listen, when you're in a, when you're in a big mess and you don't know what the solution is, just always remember, God has solutions you know nothing about. He knows solutions you know nothing about. Joe Schmatt wasn't going into this battle thinking, oh, hey, maybe, maybe they'll attack each other and kill each other. He's not thinking that. But the Lord knows what he's doing, huh? Verse 24, so when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were the dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away, and they were three days gathering. It took them three days to gather all this stuff, the spoil, because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for, they, for there they blessed the Lord. So they didn't wait till they go back to Jerusalem to praise God. They didn't wait. They did it just right there, away from home. They probably knew it was going to be another day. It was going to take another day before they got back to their families. Therefore, the name of the place was called the Valley of Baraka until this very day, meaning blessing in Hebrew. Verse 27, then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. I, I, I think, you know, it's really interesting. We read in the previous chapter that the prophet says the the wrath of God is on you, Jehoshaphat. It's on you. You're in big trouble. You aligned yourself and went out into battle with a wicked man. Precisely the opposite thing happens. I personally believe the Lord relented, as he did with Nineveh, even though judgment was on Nineveh. He relented and gave him, by his grace, precisely the opposite of the judgment that had been on him. And, it, and uh, you know, it's, it, 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 all this happened, by the way, in a time where Jehoshaphat was being obedient. A lot of times in the Bible you see people getting punished because of sin and Christians or followers of God being punished because of their sin. That's not always the case. Sometimes... Um, it, it's not called punishment, but it's called discipline. 
God just disciplined him. He's br or he's using you. You're going through affliction. It has nothing to do with your sin. In this case, he had repented. He would be obedient. He had been sending people throughout all the land. My favorite example, by the way, is David. David, before he became king, he was obeying God. And Saul was just uh, chasing him down, killing people to find him, afflicting him. It says David lived basically under the open stars many times. It, 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 and it wasn't because he was being punished. And, and many times this is the case. The Lord is training you. He's training you for battle. He's training you to do a good work. That he wants to do in your life, as he did with David. And so, God gave him rest. Verse 31, so Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Asuba, the daughter of Shilhi. The reference to the mother there is probably a reference to the fact she was a godly woman and invested in him. Verse 32, and he walked in the way of his father Asa and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't make mistakes, but it does mean he never worshiped Baals. He never aligned himself with kings who worship Baals. Uh, he, he made mistakes. So did Asa. But the both of them, it says, they never turned to the right or the left. When it came to following the Lord, even through, you know, his father even threw someone in prison who was a prophet who, uh, but it says the same thing of his fathers, that they, they didn't, they never turned from the Lord. And, and I, again, we talked about this last time, I believe what that's referring to, he, he never departed from the Lord. Verse 34, now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first and last, indeed they are written in the book of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which is mentioned in the books of the kings of Israel. Verse 35, in the last three verses here, um, it's interesting the placement of these verses, but you have Jehoshaphat, again, he stumbles here, he has this personality trait, he likes everyone, and lacks discernment, and he does the same thing he, has, uh, he had done a few years earlier, it says, after this, Jehoshaphat, king of Israel, king of Judah, rather, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly, and he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezion Geber, but Eleazar, the son of Dodava of Marasha, prophesied against Jeho Jehoshaphat, saying, because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works, then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. So again, here you have it. Uh, Jehoshaphat has this side of him that's like, you know, someone, particularly with his own family, his cousins, maybe you have a cousin or a family member comes to you, hey, you want to do this or that? So, well, it's a cousin. It's a family member. I, I got to go along with it. I, I didn't want to just, I can't turmoil in my family it's not honorable and but the lord basically some people think that he's building a navy here it's not it's not unclear whether it's a navy or a, some kind of uh, business venture but it was the whole thing was wrecked and if you're taking notes write this verse down it's a great 
verse, Romans 16, 19. It's a song that we like to sing. Romans 16, 19 says. We haven't sung that in a while, but. But anyway, in the New King James, it says this, very simple. Be simple as to what is evil. That's part of the verse. Be simple as to what is evil. Meaning, man, if you look at something and it's like looking pretty good, but you know it's evil, don't complicate it. It's wrong. Don't deal with it. Don't say this, you know, I, I, I know that last relationship I had with an unbeliever, you know, didn't work out well, and the Bible says I'm not supposed to be dating an unbeliever, but this time I'm, I'm not going to kiss or anything. And No, you're not being simple with what is evil. But there's any number of things where you look at it and, and you're like, anytime you're like, eh, means you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be trying to figure out a way, well, let me try to do this. I can do it like, you know, finagle like this or finagle like that and, uh, and it won't be so bad. And in this particular case, he knows these people are wicked. But perhaps, he's, perhaps Jehoshaphat's saying, well, you know, before with Ahab, I know I was rebuked. I'm not going into arm. I'm not going into war. This is a simple business venture. And besides, I know the terms of the deal, you know. No. Be simple as to what is evil, meaning don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. Chapter 21, and Jehoshaphat rested with his father and was buried with the fathers in the city of David. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. He had brothers. So Jehoram had brothers. These are all the sons of Jehoshaphat. Azariah, Jehel, Zechariah, Azari, Ahu, Michael, and Shephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and precious things which fortif with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom of Joram because he was the firstborn. Because he was the firstborn. By the way, just because uh, someone is the firstborn was not a requirement that they were made king. Solomon was not the firstborn, uh, but in this particular case, it's who Jehoshaphat wanted. But look at this guy. Look at this guy. I mean, this is wickedness at a, at a completely different level. Verse 4. Now, when Jehoram, now mind you, this is the son of Jehoshaphat. When Jeho Jehoram was established over the king of his father, he strengthened himself and killed all his brothers with the sword and also others of the princes of Israel. Wow. Now, just so, just so you understand here, this is very typical behavior for royalty at the time outside of the nation of Israel. This is what you do. As soon as you get power, you kill your brothers, you kill anyone who may be vying for the throne. But the king, the Israelites were what? A holy people. What does the word holy mean? Separate. They're a separate people. You're not supposed to be doing, you do not do. This is what the law is all about, Leviticus and 
It's making a separate people. And here you have a guy behaving like everyone else. Why is it? Why is he behaving like everyone else? Shout it out, someone. Freddie, I'll even let you shout it out. Well, that's true, but why? He married who? Who did he marry? When you marry Jezebel's daughter, more likely than not, you're going to be doing some seriously... Oh, I'm sorry. Did Nicole have that? Oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, um. oh, oh, come on. That's good enough. She got it. She got it, Freddie. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Again, this is, this is Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, just such a phenomenal guy, but he was, again, it's this word magnanimous. He, he wanted to be liked. He wanted to be, oh, sure, you, Ahab, you want my son for your daughter? Sure, sure, no problem. Wow. It's going to get much worse, like a hundred times worse. This is, this is just the, this is just the, uh, the peak of the, of the iceberg? No, what is it? The tip of the iceberg. It's going to get much worse. He marries off his son to the daughter of Jezebel. It's probably, it's 90% sure it was Jezebel. It was definitely Ahab's daughter. And um, I'm sorry, it's 90% sure it's Jezebel's daughter. But uh, it's certainly Ahab's daughter. But um, here you have the consequences. Do you remember Jezebel? What happened when Ahab was crying because he couldn't get the vineyard next to his house. Nahoth, what was his name? What? Naboth. His vineyard next to his palace. He went to Naboth. It was owned by a guy named Naboth. Naboth. So Ahab goes, hey, can I have your, can you have your vineyard? No. I mean, it's been my family for generations and generations. He goes, he's, he's all upset. Jezebel comes along. Why upset? Well, <laughs> Naboth won't give me his vineyard. She goes, oh, really? <laughs> okay, I'll see you in a little bit. She goes out and has the guy killed. So this is just Jezebel's daughter giving the same kind of advice, the kind of advice she learned from her mother. And again, uh, Pastor Eric gave, gave a sermon on this one time. I think it was Sunday morning on it notwithstanding Jehoshaphat just being such a such an example that we all want to follow in so many ways I am telling you what his decision to give his um, son to Ahab's daughter is going to cost Israel dearly so here um, all of uh, Jehoshaphat's other sons are killed verse 5 says Jehoram was 31 years old when he became king. He reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For he had the daughter of Ahab as a wife, and he did evil, evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, when it says he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, remember, that's not good Israel. By now, that's bad Israel. 
if maybe it's not good to say bad Israel, but the part of Israel that acted bad, evil. That was the northern kingdom. By the, so the civil war had happened up in the north, and they never had a good king. They were always, all the kings were behaving wickedly. And this particular son, this particular king of Judah, there's about eight to ten kings who were good, but this one was exceedingly wicked in the south. Verse 7, yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant he had made with David and since he had promised to give him a lamp to him and to his sons forever. So God doesn't just destroy Judah at this time. He doesn't destroy um, the, the, the nation. Now eventually he's going to exile them, but he's not going to completely destroy them. Verse 8, in his days Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Jehoram went out with his officers and all his chariots with him. You don't see him praying to God like Jehoshaphat did. You, see, you don't see him seeking the Lord. You don't see him declaring a fast like his father did. This is, Je this is Jezebel's son-in-law here. And he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and, ca and the captains and chariots. Thus Edom has been in revolt. He lost Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. At that time, Libna revolted against his rule because he had forsaken the Lord, God of his fathers. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit harlotry and led Judah astray. When it says harlotry there, what that's referring to almost certainly to harlotry, meaning going after other gods, which, among other things, included physical harlotry. But um, this is what this son-in-law, who's now the king of Judah, he's in the line of the Messiah. You go to the lineage of Jesus, this guy's in there. Now, verse 12 through 15, it's just, this is a stunner. <laughs> and a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet. What is going on here? Now, any, if you're a student of the Old Testament, you will know that Elijah, there's two things that are just crazy about this. When you, uh, Actually, my own son gave a message on this before. This is, uh, uh, gave a message on this before. This, this letter, Elijah writes a letter. Now, why is this so amazing and stunning? Elijah basically, Elijah was a prophet to the northern kingdom. He's the guy who went up to Ahab, rebuked him, uh, that incredible, dramatic, uh, that incredible, dramatic time where out of nowhere in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah appears before Ahab and says, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except by my word. And then he takes off and for three and a half years, not a single drop of rain. He appears with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration as the one who represents the prophet. This guy's a heavyweight. But he... It hit 99% of his ministry are to the bad kings um, in the north, which, by the way, has always confounded me. I just think that's the weirdest thing. Like, when a good king like Jehoshaphat is rebuked, or Asa, why didn't, why didn't Elijah get involved? 
I have no idea. The Lord used other people. Elijah, I think he had, his ministry was in the natural 100% unsuccessful, a failure. In the sense that there was never repentance in the north. And not, neither was there repentance with this guy. The other crazy thing about this is that it's a letter. We don't have the book of Elijah. There's no such thing as the book of Elijah. We have the book of Jeremiah. We have the book of Isaiah, the book of Ezekiel. We don't have the book of Elisha, rather, either, right? Even though these guys are, this dude is a heavyweight. He is, uh, he, I, 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 I should say, he's the prophet in the Old Testament, but I won't say that because Jesus is the prophet that is, um, uh, that is prophesied by, uh, by Moses. But um, th this dude is a heavyweight. And, and so let's pay attention. What is this guy going to write in his letter? He says, Thus says the Lord, God of your father David, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father, or in the ways of Asa, king of Judah. So this is interesting. So Elijah knows all about Jehoshaphat. He knows all about Asa, but for some reason... He didn't go to those kings even when they misbehaved. God sent other people. By the way, I've always said that that really shows you about the mercy and long-suffering of the Lord. Even with, he uses his, the, the, the most powerful prophets in the Old Testament to go to people who will never repent. That is long-suffering. That is a God who loves. That is a God who is, is abounding in mercy. But so he writes this letter, verse 13 says, but you have walked in the way of the kings of Israel and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot like the harlotry of the house of Abab, and also have killed your brothers, those of your father's household who were better than yourself. Eek. Elijah's one of those prophets you really don't like showing up at your door. It's like, okay, this is not going to be a good day if Elijah's knocking on your door. Behold, the Lord will strike your people with a serious affliction, your children, your wives, and all your possession, and you will become very sick with a disease of your intestines until your intestines come out by reason of the sickness day by day. Oh, my. Now, you would have thought that maybe, just kind of maybe, he would have said, oh boy, I better repent. Not this guy. Probably looked for him to kill him. Verse 16, moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabians who were near the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions that were found in the king's house and also his sons and his wives, so that they were not a son left to him, except Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. After all this, the Lord struck him in the intestines with an incurable disease. Then it happened in the course of time, after the end of two years, that his intestines came out because of his sickness, so he died in severe pain. And his people made no burning for him, like the burning for his fathers. He was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years, and no one and to no one's sorrow departed. I was in, uh, I think I've mentioned last Sunday morning, I was in three funerals in the last few weeks and so around a couple of cemeteries and you see the different epitaphs on the tombstone. This is not an epitaph you want for yourself. To no one's sorrow he departed. You, you don't want that. 
You know, you, want, you have one legacy to live your life. To, 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 rather, you have, one, you have one life to build your legacy. You just have one life. One life to do that. And what's it going to be, Calvary Chapel? What is it going to be? Is it going to be a legacy where this guy was an example to everyone? This woman was an example to everyone. Of someone who trusted in the Lord in the face of great adversity and followed the Lord. One and just just reading about this, this was this guy's legacy. To no one's sorrow, he departed. However, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the uh, tomb of the kings. I told you this stuff was good. I mean, I this stuff's really good. Very encouraging. <laughs>